From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty and Perenni Podcast. the Frosty and Perenni podcast. I'm your host, Derek Frost. Tony has a week off because he couldn't make time in his oh-so-busy schedule for our podcast. You know, you promote somebody to co-host and they can't even show up. But we have a replacement. Tony, you're going to get replaced because in studio with me, is none other than none other than the coach of Chris Hogan's Heroes. Welcome, Timothy Carey Taft. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate the opportunity to step in and once again show the world why I'm better than Tony, uh, as I've been doing every year since the third grade. So <laughs> let's get to it. I don't think anybody doubts that uh, that you are better than Tony in pretty much every way possible. Uh, but you know, when when Tony is going to be out, then I, you know, got to replace him and, uh, there's nobody better. So Tim, week two is in the books and, uh, we're looking into week three and as much as I love to rag on him, Tony had an amazing week two. Did you see his score? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say that, uh, that Tony's putting some lights out numbers. Uh, all shade aside, he has the top team in fantasy through two games. Uh, and you got to respect the roster he's put together. Well, let's dig into it, Tim, with our super cold open. And Pretoria FC crushes Vince Gorgonzola's Scott's Tots 184 to 116. And I'm failing to see anybody who didn't show up for Tony's team. You have Lamar Jackson with 18. I think he's probably the biggest disappointment on Tony's team. But Miles Sanders outscores his projection. Clyde Edwards-Alaire pretty much hits it. Calvin Ridley with nearly 30. Alvin Kamara, 38.4. Melissa Groover's going to love to hear that. Mm. And uh, Colts defense, 17. <laughs> Justin Tucker hits 16. On the other side, Vince Gorgonzola, just not enough there. Patrick Mahomes gives him 27. Melvin Gordon gives him 16. Harrison Butker, did you see the game that dude had for Kansas City, the kicker? Dude hits 350-plus yarders in that game. Unfortunately, though, only getting 13 points. Not enough for Vince to overtake the leading scorer in this week's, uh, this week's matchups with Tony. Uh, you know, th- this is just an incredible game that really, this may go down as the leading scorer of this, of this season. And we're going to see it in week two. Yeah, you know, just a quick positive for Vince here. You know, you see Odell Beckham showing up with 17.4. I think after week one, that's some positive signs that Brown's offense start to kind of gel a little bit. But, you know, the leading receiver in fantasy this year is none other than, and we all knew this would be the case, Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley currently the number one fantasy receiver a week of 29.9 after week one of 33.9. And your number two running backs is none other than Alvin Kamara. So Perenni's fielding some really top-quality players out there. You know, Lamar Jackson's only the number 10 
fantasy quarterback so far through two games. So there's a lot of growth there too. So uh, if you thought Tony was scary already, uh, if everyone lives up to their potential like this every single week, um, look out, you know, and he's coming my way this week. So you better believe I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit nervous. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet this week was all of the injuries yeah. and injuries to key players. But Tony's team has really skated through that. And that's going to be dangerous moving forward. And we'll see what happens. You know, week three can bring a bunch of injuries too. But coming out of week two, Tony looks prepared to make a deep run. Um, you know, kind of overreaction here after week two. But Tony's <laughs> team looks like he is on a collision course for the championship. Uh, the, the, I think the playoffs, to say the least, here. Moving on, Tim, let's go look at your matchup. Where, uh, you know, Tony may have the leading score, but you weren't that far behind. Chris Hogan's Heroes beating Tyler Kerr's Saved by LaBelle 173 to 107. And Josh Allen, 34 and a half points. Aaron Jones, 45. Darren Waller was a, a hard knocks, a big hard knocks guy last year, 28.3. So, Tim, just great showing from your squad. On the other side there, Tyler Kerr. Matt Ryan puts up 28.5 points, but Rob Gronkowski, zero. Le'Veon Bell was on IR, so he didn't set that lineup. And uh, his, his favorite kicker there, Greg DeLeg, gives him 11. So, Ty, you know, if he would have paid attention there, could have snuck in maybe LaShawn McCoy, to give him a seven, it wouldn't have been anywhere near enough to really do much. Uh, and Tyler Higby gets him nearly 30 on the bench. Again, I don't think any combination there would have got him to to a victory. But uh, it makes you wonder, is, is Ty paying attention? Because in week two, usually it's still uh, everybody's paying attention to their team. Yeah, and I think that's an important storyline to, to keep tabs on because it's going to be a long season and there's going to be guys that go down whether through injury, because of the shortened offseason, or due to COVID, and end up on IR. So if you're not paying attention to your lineup week in, week out, you might end up with a guy, picks up a quick injury designation, picks you zero up for the week. You know, and in a spot where Le'Veon's expected to be the number one, maybe number two running back on his roster, you just can't leave those points out there. So I think better days are ahead for Ty if he can remember to set his lineup, because if he's got guys like uh, Tyler Higby, CeeDee Lamb uh, performing, um, you know, I, I don't think the toilet bowl is necessarily a given for Ty. But if he keeps up this lackadaisical performance and setting up the lineup, you better believe he's going to be swishing down the drain once again. <laughs> he's going to be need to pay attention to Dave's, uh, Dave's ABCs, the ACTs, mm. and uh, try to improve that math score because at this point, it's Tyler versus himself if he can break <laughs> that 30 score. Moving on here, uh, Mike Engine Throne, Bonnie McMurray loses to Steve Groover's Threat level midnight. Now, I have been super critical of Steve's team names, but he has nailed it here with threat level midnight. Most of the group here are Office fans. If you're not an Office fan, uh, Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, creates this movie uh, it, during the show, and it's, it's a really poorly done kind of James Bond type thing, and it's called Threat Level Midnight. Uh, and he shows it to the to the group in the conference room, and it's uh, it's not well received initially, but it it became an icon of the show. And so I, I texted Steve this week, 
And I was like, listen, I know we challenged you to come up with a new name every week, and I think that was going to be his plan. But, I mean, challenge be damned. You come up with a name like Threat Level Midnight, I don't think you can change it. No, I mean, that's uh, that's all world. You know, we're talking about the sitcom theme that we've got this year. Um, it's got those aggressive words, threat, level. I mean, come on, what more could you want? Uh, so really, it hits on everything you want from a team name. It's got that office reference, which is much coveted, by the way. A lot of people were after that office reference. So uh, I think Steve nailed it on the head this year. And I, that name propelled him to the first win, getting that win 130 to 115. Groover getting a really good showing out of Dak Prescott with 39.8. DJ Moore, 20. Uh, De- De- Deontay Johnson, 23.2. So Steve got a pretty good showing out of his whole group. Devontae Adams comes off of a 40-point showing down to 6.6. So, you know, going to be a little hot and cold there. Uh, they faced Detroit, and it really they, they took that lead, and they never looked back. So they weren't throwing the ball around too much there. On the other side, Mike Ingen thrown just dealt his first loss as Team Bonnie McMurray. He has a pretty good showing, you know, and, and 115 isn't a bad score. That'll win you a lot of weeks here, but unfortunately, Bill's defense, Josh Allen was looking great on the other side, but Bill's defense put up negative one. Tyreek Hill gives him 21.8. Jonathan Taylor, 19. So again, not not a bad showing. Uh, Terry McLaurin, 25 and a half in his flex. So not a bad showing from Bonnie McMurray there. I think there's good times ahead for him. Uh, Stephon Diggs got him big points on the bench and doesn't look to have hit too much of the injury bug there. So he should be good. But we got to talk on the other side there with Groover. Saquon Barkley gets him 2.8 because Saquon is going to be out for the year. And so this is going to be a big a big crush there to, to Groover's squad. Looking at his bench, though, he's got he, he kind of planned for this. Uh, and so we see Mark Ingram on the bench. He got 15.7, so that's a, a, certainly a, a plug-and-play there. Uh, Joshua Kelly, probably not going to be the guy that goes in. Uh, and James Robinson from Jacksonville is also on his bench. So he could always pick up from the waiver wire, but... For now, Saquon Barkley is going to be out for the year, and Steve spent some big money on him. Yeah, and I don't mean to bury the lead here, but just a, a quick reference to Mike's team. You know, he's really going to look back on this and see points on the board because uh, it should be noted that both Saquon Barkley and Devontae Adams left mid-game due to injuries. So two of Steve's top performers, arguably two of the top players of their respective position in all of fantasy. I mean, some of the highest drafted guys leave mid-game, and Mike still can't pull it off. Uh, that regression for Mark Andrews is really disappointing. So on Mike's side of it, he's going to see these injuries and, and really see a missed opportunity. And on Steve's side, to your point, Derek, he did prepare with depth, but there's just no replacing Saquon Barkley, especially not with the likes of uh, James Robinson, uh, you know, came in, had a respectable week two, obviously playing right now uh, in this game against Miami here recording on Thursday night. Um, so you like what Steve's got on the bench, um, but man, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe when you've got to replace a guy like Saquon Barkley. Devontae Adams looks like, I was just reading up, his, his injury is not going to be serious or season-ending, so he's going to be questionable for week three here. Um, so he avoided at least two major injuries this week. But Saquon, Saquon's out for the year. Moving on. 
Kalen King's Bob Roethlisberger's, the guy who is in the toilet bowl, is 2-0 as he gets a victory 149-116 to over Kevin Hulick's Jump the Chart. And Kevin finds himself in kind of familiar territory here with a really slow start. Uh, getting 116, not a bad score. Last week he had an okay score. So Kevin, I don't think, is quite falling victim to what he did last year where he was scoring a, a lot of points but just ran into the to the buzzsaw week in and week out. But one 149 put up by Kalen is a great score. He got big production from Nick Chubb with 26. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott gave him 22. And I think that's what Zeke's going to do. He's going to be that guy who just gives you constant points week in and week out. Travis Kelsey, 24. So overall, just solid showing out of that, out of that crew. DK Metcalf with 19.2. On the other side, Kevin Hulick. Gets great out of Russell Wilson, 33.4 on that, uh, was that Sunday night game? I think so. They had the mega cast back. going. It was, uh, it was fun to watch. James Conner, 20.1. The namesake, DJ Chark, hits his projection at about 12. And Steelers defense comes up big against Denver with 13. So, Kevin, you know, he's, he's still trying to figure it out. Uh, the bench put up some pretty good points. Julian Edelman, 25.9. Uh, and uh, another tight end here, 27. So it's not like he had a, a bunch on the uh, on the bench that would have changed the game for him. But uh, we may see Kevin struggling here moving forward. Yeah, I'm looking at Kevin's roster. And, you know, talk about the injury bug. Kevin's issue specifically looks to be uh, with his wide receiver core, his namesake, uh, DJ Chark, is out. Um, you know, Julian Edelman's picked up a questionable designation. Uh, got a guy like Debo Samuel on IR. He's a guy I'm sure he was projected to have a decent year. Um, so when you look at the two weeks that Kevin's put up, 120 uh, and 118, you know, there were years past where those might have been enough to get a W. But when you guys, you got guys like Tony putting up 180, you know, guys like Kalen putting up 149, these numbers are extra inflated right now, and uh, you just got to hope for better things for Kevin from an injury standpoint, um, but also you know better production from guys like uh, Michael Gallup, um, Derrick Henry. So um, bright bright future for Kalen so far, uh, and obviously uh, Kevin's going to want to see some some better productivity this week. Going to our game of the week, we have Charlie Thurber's Blue Cat Lodge. Getting a very tight victory against Dave Peschians, the Little Sebastians. And Dave has Christian McCaffrey go out, but not after he gave him 24.8 points. DeAndre Hopkins, 20.8. And Chris Carson, 19.8. But just not enough. Almost, but just not enough. Cam Newton for for Thurber's squad gave him almost 35. Uh, Mike Evans, 23.4. Did Mike Evans get hurt too? Is he one of the injuries? Mike Evans came into the year a little bit banged up, um, and most of the issues that first week were probably just chemistry with Tom Brady, um, but he's a guy who definitely turned it around in week two after a week one disappointment. So, uh, you know, definitely a close game there, and it was uh, it was fun to watch coming down the stretch, but uh, uh, Naheem Hines only gives, him, only gives Thurber 1.4, Emmanuel Sanders only 2.8. So definitely some room to grow there for... For Thurber's squad, interestingly, looking at his bench, Kyler Murray puts up 32. 
So I, I feel like he's going to kind of struggle here between Cam Newton and Kyler Murray, which quarterback to play week in and week out. This week he picked the right one and uh, really was was the difference there. So a good call there. Kareem Hunt gives him 24 on the bench as he went up against the Cincinnati squad. And Kareem Hunt had an amazing game. Yeah, Charlie has a pair of fantasy assets here in Cam Newton and Kyler Murray. He might not have known exactly what he was getting out of Cam Newton this year, but these are the number three and number four fantasy quarterbacks. Now, Charlie's draft strategy, the way it panned out is he went heavy on wide receiver and, and quarterback, but maybe not so much on uh, on running back. And we were really worried that he wasn't going to get the kind of quality talent you need to compete in this league. And that actually bore itself out this week. And you're seeing a one-point whatever from Naeem Hines, you know, that's just not going to get it done out of your nominal RB2. So maybe it makes sense to start uh, fishing to see if he can maybe get some assets for one of those two quarterbacks. But to your point, Derek, does he pick the right one? Who's projected to have a better year moving forward? It's a tough call right now after week two. You know, and in in my, I'm not going to sit here and say like I was a great fantasy coach. I I wasn't. Uh, But one of the things that I would kind of steer clear from is having two guys that were you know, each week you're kind of battling with just for the sake of kind of easing your mind a bit mm. and going with one because each week you're going to, you're going to play one and, and eat, eat either of these guys can have just an amazing game or throw four picks. Right. Right. Like and that's what we see with these guys. So I'm, I'm curious to see what Thurber ends up doing moving forward. If he does play this game week in and week out, you know, this week he picked right. Next week, does he pick right? You know, and, and so you kind of get stuck in this in this constant decision battles. But uh, this week it pays off for him, and he and he gets the close victory there to go to one and one, and uh, taking taking on to second in that B team division. Uh, Dave still technically first, although I'm not sure how that works with the with the head to head. But it doesn't go on head to head; it goes total points scored. Right. Um, so that will do it. Tim, for our super cold open presented by, we don't have presenters yet. We don't have enough sponsors. We really don't. I'm drinking a beer from Bookhouse Brewing up in Cleveland. So if you're up in Cleveland and looking for a tasty brew, drink Bookhouse. There you go. Love it. We're giving away free sponsorships until we get real sponsorships. Um, I was telling Tony, the sponsors all backed out. They don't like our sitcom. Mm. as much but uh i'll tell you as a podcaster it makes it a little more difficult because i was in the flow of being like this is what this segment's called and it's presented by this company and now like it's just empty so it uh, may sound a little awkward on your end and uh, it feels awkward on this end so we're all enjoying that awkwardness but speaking of the awkwardness i have to uh, address last week's issues we had uh we had some technical difficulties and uh, I was alerted to it on Sunday morning. So we got the podcast out late. And then there were a bunch of dropouts. And frankly, I didn't have time to work on it until Tuesday. So apologize to all those who uh, did not were not able to listen to the full episode last week. It is up now. So make sure you go and check it out. We had Dave in studio. It was a, it was a great time. Um, but that, that pod is fixed. I will make sure this one is uh, is fully operational when it goes on live. But uh, yeah, so we apologize here from the, the Frosty and Perenni podcast. It was unfortunate. But uh, you know, hey, you live, you learn, um, and, and you move on. And so that's what we're going to do now, Tim. We're just going to move right along.
So, Tim, let's talk about your team here. Chris Hogan's Heroes. You find yourself at 2-0, and off to a great start. You have, you know, 173 points showing this week. You know, what are you what are you looking for out of this season? Is this is this the season that you're like, okay, we've we've got all of our pieces together. We're really going to make a charge because you've been kind of a a bubble team for the last couple seasons. Yeah, that's fair. Uh last year was uh was real disappointment ending up in the toilet bowl playoffs. Uh went with a strategy of uh stars and scrubs, which you see somebody uh somebody like Dave employ, you know, to some effect. But Dave got burned this year the way I got burned last year is if one of those guys goes down with injury, in my case, it was uh, Devontae Adams. Um, in his case, it's Christian McCaffrey. Your whole season could be shot. So I came into the draft uh, with a budget in mind to get players of certain quality at certain tiers. And, uh, you know, after first two weeks, so far, so good. But the injury bugs come for me, too. Um, Raheem Mostert, who's, who's in a name that isn't maybe perennially considered a top running back was the number seven running back in fantasy until he went down last game uh, so his absence is going to be a, a pretty big void in my lineup this week and it's a tough week to have that especially going up against Tony but longer term you know if we can keep the injury designations to a minimum um, I really love what Aaron Jones is doing I think Josh Allen uh, is going to be a top fantasy quarterback in this league. Remember, we're playing fantasy football, not uh, not pro football here. You know, I get it. Limitations of the quarterback. But you know what he's not limited by? Is that six-something frame. God, must be 300 pounds. He just rumbles over guys. And you can always count on those rushing yards. Getting better as a passer. Has a great new target with Stephon Diggs. So um, I like what I'm getting out of the... You might consider the auxiliary positions, right? Quarterback, a tight end, Darren Waller. Um, Darren Waller currently the number two tight end in fantasy. But again, injury designation. So for me, starting out 2-0, and being the number two scorer in the league, um, I'm trying to stack up these wins now because I may not get a chance to manage this team all the way down the road and maybe not even into the playoffs because part of my professional ambitions is join the Army. And one thing they don't let you have in basic training is your phone. And so it's going to be a hell of a time setting a fantasy lineup uh, when I'm busy doing push-ups and crawling through the mud. But uh, damn it, if I can get to the playoffs and uh, I get a chance to use my phone once every couple weeks to call home, I might just skip those calls to mom, and I might be tinkering with <laughs> my lineup instead. <laughs> that is devotion to the league. So, Tim, let's talk about it, because last time this year, you know, you're living in Washington, D.C. We're, uh, we're chatting with you on the Frosty Hotline, and now you're, you're sitting in studio here. And, uh, you know, preparing to, to go off and, and join the Army um, at an age where, you know, it's not traditional to join the Army. So, uh, you know, what, uh, what led to that decision to, uh, to join? Great question. I think I finally reached the point in my life called a, I don't know, am I being optimistic if I say it's the third life crisis? Do I think I'm going to live to 90? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to parse with the semantics there, but... You know, turning 30 definitely had its um, had a moment where I had to figure out what the rest of my life was going to look like. You know, and we're all deep enough into our careers. Some of us have master's degrees, doctorates. Um, we pretty much know how life's going to go if you don't change that course, you know, for the next 20, 30, maybe 50 years. And as I was sitting there in D.C., living alone, working a job that, that didn't really thrill me, you know, and I thought about hell, man, I'm 30 years old, but I don't have as many miles on me as some do. But one thing I only ever wanted to do was be a soldier like my dad, like my grandpa, 
And there's time. There's time. The enlistment age, maximum is 34. Hell, I'm a young 30. Let's go for it. So for me, it was just time to decide what my priorities were, pick a career that was really going to give me that satisfaction I was looking for, that commitment to service that, frankly, I've never really been able to, to fulfill. So uh, it's been a long six months from, from then to now. Um, a, lot of, a lot of changes in between, um, whether it's geographic. I've lived in Virginia in my dad's basement, and I've lived in Youngstown in my mom's attic, and uh, <laughs> currently enjoying a uh, cigar here in the, uh, in the lounge at Derek's place in Austin Town. So um, crazy, crazy ride to reach this point. Um, but, you know, we're a couple weeks out from heading back and signing papers, assuming all works out. And, uh, and yeah, what was a, a long six-month process is about to be an even longer six, maybe 20-year adventure. So we'll see how it goes, but it all starts with that paperwork, and hopefully we get that signed here soon. You know, you brought up something interesting, and uh, it, it's the, the idea of turning 30. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I, I talked to some of the folks I work with who are in their 50s and 60s, and, you know, they're like, oh, 30 so young. But 30 doesn't feel young, and 30 doesn't sound young anymore. You know, you're, you're in your 20s, and it's like, oh, I'm still in my 20s. Like, I'm, I'm in my prime. And you know, you, you hit 30 and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'm an adult. And <laughs> like, I, I have adult responsibilities and like, I'm not a kid anymore. You know, you, you go from 20, like you can't drink yet, you know, legally. Um, you know, you're, you get through some of those, those life hurdles, but you hit 30 and it's like, oh, I got to get some shit figured out. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And part of what I've really enjoyed about being 30 is finally feeling like I've got some of that figured out understanding what my priorities are, spending time where it's best spent, and frankly, getting back in connection with the people I care about. Because as much as I'm an independent person, sometimes that can trend to isolation. And, you know, if one thing this Fantasy League has taught me is the importance of keeping your friends together. You know, this is a way for us to connect every week, have something in common, you know, even as life's changing around us, right? Even if we're changing jobs, we're changing uh, houses, we're having kids, Anyone have kids yet? Potentially oh, having kids. Yes, Vince, Vince has, has kids. kids. You know, parents getting older, situations are changing all around us, but uh, if you can put those anchors down and, and continue to rely on things, I feel like that's the sort of thing you need to have as you, as you grow and as you evolve because, you know, you want to have some consistency. Life is a whirlwind, and you should take advantage of all the different opportunities that present themselves, but um, I think it's important to, to keep touch with, with your roots, too, and that's something that I've definitely... Uh, really appreciate it about the last six months in particular because, to your point, you know, a lot changes when you turn 30. Uh, you look back on your, your crazy 20s, but you know what? You can have crazy 30s too. Life doesn't end at 30, and uh, for me, I think it's just beginning. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of this, this fantasy league, and, you know, selfishly for the podcast, it's really fun because Tony and I, we get to talk to, you know, friends that, you may not normally call up and, and have a conversation with, but just through through this like podcast, we're able to do that, and it's it's been a lot of a lot of fun. I know I've said that on on the show before that it's you know it's a cool way for us to to catch up, but you know like somebody like Kalen, you know like I, I don't I don't call him frequently, I don't you mm. know chat with him, but like <laughs> I know that like one to two times a year, like we're gonna chat on this podcast, and yeah. and so like that that kind of stuff is a lot of fun. Yeah, and to your credit, you know, taking the lead and creating this specific piece of the experience, right? We have the league, 
you know, we can text each other in the in the Discord, you know, we can have that kind of analog communication, but this podcast really brings to life, you know, those voices. I haven't heard some people's voices ever, you know, I, I, I didn't know what Charlie sounded like until I heard him on the podcast. So this really is um, not just an extension of the league, but I think an extension of our, you know, collective friendship. And uh, I think the pod has been a really great asset. Um, and I'm really grateful to have my, my crack at the microphone here. Yeah, well, you know, because Tony doesn't give a shit about the podcast, <laughs> so it opens up for somebody else. Uh, so, interestingly here with uh, some big news dropped in the football world, and that is that the Big Ten is coming back, Tim. And uh, October 24th, we're going to see Big Ten football. Now, I'm not an Ohio State fan, but I am a football fan. So, I, it's great to see the Big Ten coming back. It, it, what we've seen is that a lot of these sports, a lot of these teams have been able to come back and keep COVID numbers fairly low. But at the same time that it's announced that the Big Ten's coming back, interestingly, my my favorite team here, Notre Dame, has to postpone a game against Wake Forest because they can't be healthy enough. Mm. So Notre Dame postpones that game, and I think that game's going to, uh, I just saw is going to be played in December. So interesting that, you know, kind of the same week that Big Ten's coming back, and I see the Mac is talking about coming back, that that we have to start postponing games. And maybe that's just the reality we live in now, is that games are, you know, subject to what's going on with COVID, and if a certain threshold of players, or in Notre Dame's case, it was a number of players at, a, at the same position to where it, it, the team can't really put a quality product on the field. And so the two teams kind of come together and say, hey, you know, I don't want my team to catch COVID from your team uh, because you may have other guys that are going to be positive and spread it but haven't tested positive yet. So kind of an interesting time in football right now where you have the you know conferences coming back and at the same time pull, pulling back. Yeah, and, you know, looking at the trends here geographically – you know, the two major conferences that you said early on, hey, we're not doing a fall football season, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Um, a lot of high population states in those, um, in those conferences. You know, you're talking about Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, California, um, and states that at one time had rising COVID numbers. So when these conferences decided to postpone their fall football season, um, they were doing so, I think, with you know primarily public health interest in mind. Because obviously, if it was about the money, they'd have been playing from the get-go. Right, right. But to that point, now that they've seen other conferences take the lead, potentially have safe football, or relatively safe, right? Because, as you said, you might have a perfectly good game on the schedule until X number of players come down with COVID. But I think the Big Ten recognizing that it can be done has decided they're going to try to do it. Now, it remains to be seen, again, with the populations of students on those campuses, you've got massive numbers. Uh, I don't want to speak you know, out of school here in reference to universities, but... Um, pun intended. Pun intended, of course. <laughs> yes, we're, 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 all, we're all fair for wordplay on this uh, podcast. Uh, but, a, but a place like Wisconsin um, has COVID numbers, and it's a large university with a huge student body. The Big Ten specifically has some of the biggest student bodies in the entire country. So when you decide you want to play football, you really are opening yourself up to the possibility of games later being delayed, much like you've got here with the Notre Dame situation. And yet, 
you understand it from a political standpoint, you understand it from a financial standpoint, people want to see Big Ten football. And it can be both things. You know, the idea that it's black or white, you either support it or you don't. Look, I don't think it's a great idea, but you better believe when Michigan's playing Ohio State, I'm going to want them, I'm going to watch that game. Um, so am I a hypocrite? I don't know. It's hard for anyone to say exactly where they stand on a lot of these issues. You know, do you go to a bar versus going to the grocery store? Are you not following public health guidelines to the letter? Um, are you going to allow fans in the stadium, for example? I know some colleges are, some colleges aren't. So I think the Big Ten has just seen the writing on the wall and decided they don't want to be missing out on fall football and all the implications that come from it. Now, whether they can maintain the health and safety of their players at the same time, that's an open question until we see it happen. You know, and this is, this is the thing that is I, I, I struggle with internally myself because mm. I'm a football fan, right? I'm a yeah. sports fan. And when we had no sports, it was it hurt. And, and you recognized and understood, I think, why. And, and I, I, I'm not going to say that I disagreed with that. I think it was the right call that something like sports that brings so many people you know, we think of the players, but it's also all of the staff and all of the, you know, the, the fans and, and everything that goes into the hotels, the restaurants, everything that goes into hosting a sporting event. That's bringing a lot of people together for something that isn't critical to society, right? We have times where, where a lot of folks do need to come together, but it, it, just for a sporting event during the time we were seeing what was going on in New York, we were starting to see what was going on in Michigan, where in California, where a lot of folks were dying, and and it was it was scary times, and for one reason or another, we're seeing that that is slowing down. And so now does feel like a time where it's like, maybe we can come back, maybe we can start coming back to normal a little bit, while still recognizing that the numbers can spike again tomorrow, in death. You know, so we're, we are testing more people. A lot of these things are true. It's just, it's become so politicized that it's hard to know what is the right answer and what is the, the, the real situation. Yeah, and I'm very comfortable discussing topics of mental health. Um, I've been through therapy, and I went through therapy before COVID. And so I feel like I came into this situation with a lot of the tools to handle the stressors that are involved with that social isolation, the taking away of things we thought we were entitled to. So the other piece of this that I want to keep in mind is, yes, objectively, sports are trivial compared to things like public health. And yet, it's really, really hard to fully separate sports from public health when you consider just how many people really, really, really love watching football on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday, on Thursday, hell, on Wednesday, if you're a fan of Maction. So what do we lose by losing football? What do people from a mental health standpoint lose when the thing they look forward to all week, maybe they've got nothing else going on, but for some reason they just love to torture themselves watching the Browns, right? (laughs) But if you take that away, what else are you taking away from them? So again, the idea that everything is so black and white, it just, it gets to me because you recognize there's nuance in all these conversations and, and it can't be said that sports does not provide a mental health outlet for people. And I think that's what we're really talking about as a country now is the negotiations we're going through. Are we willing to trade this for that? Because you can't have one without the other. Uh, you're going to play football, you're going to get more COVID cases. But is it worth it knowing that everyone out there who's been dealing with this entire pandemic 
for a lot of those folks, that football game is really going to make the difference between a good week and a bad week. And whether you think that's a good value to, to hold dear or not, it is the case. And especially here in Northeast Ohio, we know we got a lot of football fans. Oh, yeah. You know, I think, too, there's, a, there's that certain sense of normalcy. And, you know, we... Tim and I just went out to dinner and you know you're you're wearing your mask into the into the restaurant and there's nobody sitting around you and and all of that and you're very aware is constantly in your face that we're going through a pandemic right now and that that is what it is but you know you sit there on Saturday and you watch your sports and you sit there on Sunday and, and the the Stanley Cup finals are going on and watch and it feels you're, you're taken out of that pandemic side and you're watching, you know, we're sitting here with the, excuse me, with the Thursday night game on. And we're watching football just like we would have last year on a Thursday night. Mm. And it, that part does, it, feel, it feels good. Um, and, it, and it feels good to watch. And I'm with you. I, I think there's a lot of that, you know, coming back to a sense of normalcy. We were talking over dinner. Um, you know, my wife is an ER nurse and talking about all of the, the mental health and the, the, the psychiatric illnesses that we're seeing spiking uh, and and you, it, it it's gonna it it's COVID right? And it's not the disease itself, but it's those those out kind of outside reactions to it, mm-hmm. and and that social is- isolation that that we're having is what it appears to be. So it, it's it's tough, it's tough because it's you know you're sitting there saying you know you got to wear a mask, social distancing, all that stuff, but these these guys you know there's 53 on each roster can go and just beat the crap out of each other like they do normal. The football game hasn't changed. The football game is the exact same it's always been. And so, you know, the argument of, you know, these guys are, they know the risks and they're taking it anyways. To a certain extent, yes, and to a certain extent, no. And I think that's where I'm struggling a little bit with the, especially the college game. Mm. Because, you know, okay, so they can they can sit out and not lose a year of eligibility and all of that stuff, but... You know, you talked about yourself with how many miles were on you and you're, you know, young 30, all of that. You know, some of these guys, this is their chance. This is their chance to, uh, you know, go on and and play professional ball or, you know, they're not going to play professional ball. And this is their chance at that college education and, you know, keeping their scholarships and and staying on the team and all of that is critical to them getting that, that piece of life and that experience of life. And so that's the part that I kind of struggle with. And I, I'll tell you, I've been very, very, very disappointed in the NCAA mm. because they have done absolutely nothing to help with this situation. Right. You have the Big Ten struggling, should we play or not? You have the ACC, the SEC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, struggling to figure out, should we play or not? And I remember as, as it was the day that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced that we're not going to play. And I was like, uh, in my mind, NCAA was going to come out later that day or at least in that week and say, we're going to play in the spring. And I, I Google search, you know, NCAA, co, you know, what, what did the NCAA do today? And it was about a court case of athletes getting paid. Mm. Nothing about the NCAA talking about COVID or what the team should do. They basically just left it up to the conferences and the schools. And so now the schools are trying to decide what to do with all of this. And I I guess I'm failing to understand what the role of the NCAA is at this point. Is it just to ensure that student athletes aren't being paid? Because that's really all it seems to be. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, we have these conferences now 
that do appear to have more power than the NCAA itself. And you could argue that, like the rest of the country, these individual universities have their own regional politics to contend with, right? There's a reason the SEC was out in front about playing college football, you know, and there's a reason the Pac-12 decided not to play in the fall. So is it possible even to have one central governing body that does represent the interests of universities across the country? And I think that's an open question, and I think it's a debate that can be had that says maybe it's best that the conferences really just exist within themselves, and the only interactions they have with other conferences are on their own terms. Because if the NCAA exists solely to be a punching bag at this point, you just got to figure there's a better system out there. And college sports has evolved so far beyond when the NCAA was established. I mean, it's night and day. You know, you talk about the life of a student athlete. You know, talking about the game we're watching tonight between Miami and Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville's a team, you know, hey, they got a tank for Trevor. You know, star quarterback at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, you know, presumably the number one pick. Uh, in the NFL draft, what's he going to do with his season? You know, and, and there are stories like this across the country. And I especially think about you know, the guys at Ohio State. Many of them said they were going to opt out for the year whether they play or not. Now, all of a sudden, they were looking at a spring season. Now it's a fall season again. Do they hurt or do they improve their draft stock? Maybe this is the one chance a guy from a smaller team in a big conference has to show off for the NFL. Um, so if the NCAA isn't going to become a leader really in any regard as it as it goes um to college sports you know i just think the conferences may be better off going it alone and frankly the ncaa has abdicated that responsibility anyway so why not just let the conferences run the show themselves and decide on their own terms you know and i think to your point of of is a central governing body the right thing to do you know when you look at these these big division one schools your ohio state your clemson's your notre dames etc and you figure they're being governed under the same rules, essentially, as your Division Three John Carroll, Mount Union, right. you know, the, the, the universities, the colleges at that level are so different. The needs of the student athletes are so different. A lot of the rules are different. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense that, that it is one group because they, a lot of these rules do have to be standard across the board. And there's just there's just so many different intricacies to all of this. You know, these these big schools, college football is a multi-billion dollar business. You wonder why government gets involved with it? Because it's a multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> and it, there, there does need to be some regulation or you, you open it up to a, a lot of potential of, you know, conflicting interests and corruption. You know, take a look at the Olympics, uh, you know, and there's in FIFA and all these places. And so... There does need to be something there in place, but it doesn't. It doesn't make sense, uh, and and I I think the NCAA has pretty much seen themselves out of it at this point, uh, and I I just I don't know what the role is, uh, at, at now. And I think I think you opened up. There's already been some some discussion that has made public about you know some of these bigger conferences branching off, saying we don't need you. We're going to do our own thing, and we're going to have a recruiting advantage because we're not going to follow NCAA rules, and we're going to pair players potentially or some type of sharing. And you can't tell me a student athlete isn't going to see that and be like, oh, I can, I can make money now? I'm going to do that. 
Yeah, and I think the NCAA is an institution like any other. And I generally believe in institutions. I think, frankly, human beings, we're only as connected as we decide to be, right? So an institution is only as strong as the belief in that institution. And I think in the case of the NCAA, what you have is zero confidence that this thing can fulfill its goals, ambitions, and frankly, its duties to its member universities and colleges. Um, so, for example, you had a conference that just decided they weren't going to be a part of the NCAA anymore. What's really to stop them? I mean, sure, there would be some legal battles. Of course there would be. Um, there may be some unforeseen consequences down the road. But if one conference, one strong conference, and then another, then another, just decided we're done with the NCAA, again, you might just see the NCAA cease to exist because confidence in an institution is really all that preserves any institution, be it democracy or college football. Yeah, absolutely. I think the SEC is going to be the one that bounces because they have such a following and it's in an area that is generally, you know, you, you look at where you, you brought up, you know, the Big Ten, a lot of, you know, northern Midwestern states, uh, the the SEC, that, that southeastern, oh, southeastern conference, right? <laughs> Southeast United States, a lot of, you know, Republican leaning, thinking, you know, smaller government, all of that. It makes sense that you would think, yeah, we don't need this big institution. We can do our own thing here. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more money, bigger TV deals, you know, all of that. Your your championship isn't being run in football, at least, isn't being run by the, the NCAA anyways. Sure. It's a college football playoff. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to say that they can't still connect uh, with that. So it, it, it'll be interesting. But I, I foresee... Is it five years? Is it 10 years? But somebody's bouncing out of the NCAA. And I wouldn't be shocked if at least football and maybe basketball are no longer NCAA sports. Or, or I, I should say the, high, the top tier of those two sports in, in the college sports realm aren't being played under NCAA anymore. Yeah, I think the, the, the highest Q rating the NCAA ever gets, you know, the, the highest um, positive perception you know, for lack of a better term, is when you see that big blue NCAA logo mid-court during March Madness. See, on the one hand, we have a lot of shade to throw at the NCAA during football season, but we're all gathered around our computers at work those first days of March Madness. That's an NCAA joint. Uh, And until somebody can devise a better tournament, uh, the NCAA is still going to have a role in college athletics. Um, But to your point, it doesn't make any sense for the same body to be responsible for Division three, 5,000 student colleges in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and you know, 50,000 student body uh, in you know, Arizona, for example. So I don't know. It remains to be seen what role the NCAA will play in college athletics moving forward. But uh, I think a lot of folks would be happy uh, if they saw themselves out and, uh, and left it to the individual institutions. I foresee, you know, you look at the NFL, as much heat as Roger Goodell takes, the NFL is a really, really, really well-run organization yep. or institution, to use your word. And, you know, you, you have these these teams, and they are iconic, and their, their marketing for their players is incredible. And I just... I foresee the future where, like, why does, why does NFL not have a minor league system well, it's because they've used the NCAA as a minor league system. And they've 
they've there's a partnership, whether it's it's real or I, I should say whether it's official or unofficial. You know, why does the NFL have a three year rule? Well, that's to help the NCAA, mm. right? It's not to help the NFL, right? It's to help the NCAA. So that'll be the kind of the interesting piece to it is if the SEC does bounce, do they look to the NFL to be like, hey, um, we're going to form this league and, you know, we're going to start hiring NFL coaches and we're going to get our players really NFL ready because the, this college football championship doesn't really matter to us anymore. Be- if they may still be playing in it, they may not, but, you know, we're really our cell is going to be, we are, we become the minor league system for the NFL. Yeah. And I don't think anyone who says, well, that can't happen. Frankly knows what the hell they're talking about, because that's the thing about the institutions is once you just decide that's not the way we're going to do it anymore, you don't have to do it anymore because they're made up. They are made up. If the SEC decided they wanted to have a partnership, with the NFL, and they put all of their resources toward that, they could make it happen. They could fight in court if they had to, but they could make it happen. Because nothing is set in stone here, folks. We are talking about people playing a game on a patch of grass or dribbling a ball on a bunch of hardwood. This is not the stuff that you... It's not... There are certain things that are foundational. They're bedrock. They're unchangeable. The way that we organize college athletics is very much fluid, and it's as fluid <laughs> as we want it to be. Absolutely. So, uh, that you know, that's... That's been my kind of frustration there uh, with with the NCAA is I I just I don't know what they do anymore, um, but you know and, and that's not to say you know and I I can't speak to kind of your 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 other sports right so the ones that aren't football and basketball uh, you know baseball hockey track you know softball all of these other other sports out there you know there's there's a lot of different stuff there but you see. You know, there's a lot of different rules there, too. You take a hockey player. You know, I can be a, a college hockey player, and I can be, you know, that I'm already signed, essentially, with Pittsburgh Penguins, but I'm going to play hockey at Ohio State, and as soon as I'm done, boom, I go over to Pittsburgh, and I start playing in their minor league system, and we see that happen over and over again. And so it really, we have different rules for the different sports, and it's a lot of in what, what I think the, the professional organization, what are they competing with? You know, and in hockey, I can go to Russia and play professional hockey. <laughs> I don't have to play. I can go right into the draft. Same thing with baseball, right? I can go right into the draft, and I can play professionally. Or I can be drafted in baseball but still go back to college. But in football, we say you can't do that. Once you declare for the draft, you can't come back. Who's that helping? It's not helping the player, right? Right. Because if I think like, ooh, I could, I could be drafted, but I also may not be, it's going to push me to come back to college for a year. Yeah, this conversation about college athletics makes me want to drink, so I'm going to crack one open for the future of intercollegiate sports. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, I, you know, your point about being able to play internationally in these different, uh, these different sports, it's. You know, it's hypocrisy at the highest level, and it's all about the money, and unfortunately, that's uh, that's the nature of it. So, uh, until hockey is uh, churning out the dollars that the NFL is, you know, until lacrosse is you know, bringing <laughs> home the bacon like uh, like Roger Goodell and the rest of them, it's it's just gonna be uh, it's gonna be a different standard. Yeah. Well, speaking of money, we need ours too. So we'll uh, we'll take a break here and jump to a couple of our sponsors. 
Uh, so make sure that you support our sponsors because they support this podcast. And that's how we're going to get more sponsors so you don't have to listen to me awkwardly come in and out of segments. Uh, so we will catch you on the other side of these advertisements. You know, Derek, in this age of the pandemic, we're all looking for outdoor, socially distanced activities to enjoy. The changing leaves outside falls upon us. The autumn equinox just passed by. And, and what better way to celebrate fall than at the hay place? Place for hay. Located conveniently in the parking lot of the Scranton office park, we've got 300 bales of mattress quality hay ready for your enjoyment. We've got show bales, we got play bales, we got it all. And just think about the activities we've got. Hay stacking, hay throwing, and at the end of it all, a keepsake. Don't forget to make your broom. It makes an excellent Christmas present for that awkward nephew on the Quidditch team at the State University that you're paying for. Now, if hay isn't your thing, we've got some great non-hay activities for you. The onion boil, the Dunmore farm slaughter reenactment, and who can forget the petting zoo? That goes on at two, goat roast at three. Now, if you're looking for some activities to maybe up the ante, try the hayride for kids, $3 a pop. And for the adults, you better believe you can roll in the hay for five. Now, if you're trying to rectify your childhood disappointment, Enter your child into the Hay King contest. And believe me, if he's crowned Hay King, that is an honor your family won't soon forget. So again, if you're looking for the perfect outdoor socially distanced activity this weekend, come on down to Hay Place, a place for hay. Welcome back. Before we jump into our conference call segment here, I want to talk about a trade that occurred today. And in this trade, Dave Peschian's Lil Sebastian's traded with Steve Groover's Threat Level Midnight. Now, Dave gave up Julio Jones for Kenny Galladay, wide receiver from Detroit, and Mike Davis, Carolina running back. And uh, some immediate feedback from this trade was that uh, this was not a good trade for Peshton's squad. Uh, so Tim, what is, uh, what is your take on this trade? Yeah, none other than uh, absentee co-host Tony Perenni made sure that this segment was inserted into the podcast tonight, so we're going to make sure we give it its full due. Now, from a player-for-player player standpoint here, Julio Jones, obviously a huge name in fantasy sports, has been a, a guy in this league that you look to for wide receiver one production for a long time now, uh, but picked up an injury, uh, questionable for this week, did not practice today, Thursday, so it remains to be seen if he is going to be active this week. But I think for Dave, what he's looking at is some longer-term stability at the running back position. He gets back a guy like Kenny Galladay, again, another huge player in this league, if he's healthy. And keep in mind, he hasn't played a game yet this season, but he's slated to return this week, it remains to be seen how healthy he is when he does return. But wide receiver is not the issue for Dave. It's running back because on his roster currently, he has Chris Carson in the RB1 slots. He has a healthy Tony Pollard. That's right, the backup in Dallas as the only other running back that could be started on his roster. So Mike Davis not only represents just a warm body, but 
More importantly, the handcuff to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and so if when McCaffrey is able to return, uh, let's say he picks up that injury again, Dave has that security knowing Davis is the guy he's got. Now, the main criticism comes from the fact that Davis was out there for anyone to pick up, provided the bid was high enough. And now I can't say for sure whether Dave bid at all, but Davis got picked up by Steve for $18. You know, if Dave really coveted a handcuff uh, the way he probably ought to have, you'd have thought Davis would have been bid at a lot higher and Dave could have had him without giving up a guy like Julio Jones. So... Uh, on balance, I can't judge this trade one way or the other at the moment, but let's just say the um, the odds look stacked against Dave in terms of coming out on top in this one. Yeah, and that was kind of a comment that, that we had made as we first looked at the draft because Dave, you know, he goes stars and scrubs, and then, and if that's what you're going to do and you're going to play the injury game, that's fine, but then you got a handcuff, right? And so, you know, Steve just added him yesterday <laughs> so yeah he was out there and so he was out there on draft night and I, I don't understand that if you're gonna go stars and scrubs make sure your scrubs are guys that if your stars go down those guys are going to get production and they're they're not gonna produce like we're not, Mike Davis isn't gonna produce like Christian McCaffrey does Christian McCaffrey is an elite athlete elite player but you at least know that if McCaffrey goes down you got the guy so this this is a this is a rough call by Dave here, and he's really paying the price for for not paying attention. And I'm I hope he learns from this because this is something that is kind of fantasy 101 that your your number one the guy you put up the most money for you want to make sure he's handcuffed so your team isn't screwed when he goes down. Yeah, and in a lot of backfields there is um, there's some uncertainty. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Dave a little bit of slack. You know, but maybe you went with a guy like Reggie Bonifon, who was projected to possibly be the backup in Carolina this year. Well, it turns out he's not the guy to Mike Davis, but at least you took a stab at the handcuff. Instead, you're left holding the bag, giving up a guy like Julio Jones, and then hoping, hoping his replacement at wide receiver, Kenny Galladay, uh, is going to be healthy too. So I don't like the trade. In fact, if Mike Davis is the guy you're after, I think you probably could have gotten a higher quality running back for Julio Jones, and maybe picked up a receiver that you know is healthy. In any case, you wouldn't have had to pick up a guy like Mike Davis because I think there were higher quality runnings to be had on the trade market. Uh, this just feels like a panic move because Dave is so short on running backs, and there are no replacement level running backs available on the waiver wire. I just think Steve fleeced him on this one. Steve fleeced them for sure. And you know Steve thought, like, he had that plan, right? So he picks up Mike Davis and has to immediately call Dave and be like, hey, I got your guy, and here's how you can get him. Yep. And, you know, Steve Steve is a wily vet in this league. And although, you know, we've talked about he is underperforming this year, don't forget he is back-to-back -back champion a year removed. So Steve, Steve knows what he's doing. He is hungry to get back at it. And uh, I know Dave probably felt a little comfortable with him and Steve's friendship, but that Meanderwood Melee is coming up here real soon. And, uh, you know, that, Dave, that should have been your first, your first note that you were going to get screwed over is when Steve calls you and says, hey, I got a trade for you. Yeah, I'm not answering the phone when Steve calls to make a trade. Um, now, you know, in Steve's case here, I'm looking at his roster, and he is, remember, dealing with that double injury to Devontae Adams and Saquon Barkley. So... It's entirely possible he did pick up Mike Davis just to have some running back depth. But again, leave it to a guy like Steve to see an opportunity in pounce. 
not only does he upgrade his wide receiver position, uh, which, by the way, when Devontae Adams come back now, Steve will have Julio Jones and Devontae Adams. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he does it basically for the cost of Kenny Galladay, who probably wasn't going to crack his starting lineup anyway, uh, and Mike Davis, a guy he picked up literally uh, 24 <laughs> hours ago. So, uh, you know, I, I know we're getting on Dave here, but, you know, baller move by Steve and this is why this is why Steve is is a dynasty in this league because he he plays the game when he needs to play the game, and he is still benefiting from t- from tanking a few years back with keepers, and we see it here making a fantastic trade. Uh, unfortunately, Dave was the victim in this one, but uh, so kudos to you, Steve. You uh, you nailed it, and we'll see if it works out for you. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey being out is going to hurt. All right, Tim. Let's uh, let's ditch work and hit up that conference call. Do it. Going into our first game here, we have Charlie Thurber's Blue Cat Lodge going up against Kevin Hulick's Jump the Shark. We see here the the game has already started on the Thursday night, but neither team has a starter in that one. So Charlie's set to take this one, one twenty five point six to 100.7. Jeff Wilson for Kevin Hulick is projected less than 10. Noah Fant, Font, I don't know. It's Denver's tight end. He's not worth knowing his name at 9.3. But leaving Cam Newton on the bench. So what we see here is that the same thing we were talking about earlier where Charlie's going to play the matchup game. And so Kyler Murray's going up against Detroit. So Kyler Murray gets the start. Cam Newton going up against the Las Vegas Raiders, and so Cam's going to sit on the bench. So we're going to see how that one pans out for him if he makes the right call again this week. But he's projected to uh, to lose here by 25, uh, 25, 26 points. So we'll see we'll see what he can do with that. But uh, you know, on the other side there, Kevin hoping to get that first win. Russell Wilson projected in the twenties. Otherwise, everybody's in the the mid to to high teens. Uh, Steelers defense going up against Houston. And uh, kicker Will Lutz. We'll see what he can do against the Green Bay Packers. So, Tim, who do you think takes this victory? You know, and just looking at the projections, uh, Charlie doesn't have a defense then yet. That's going to raise that number and close the gap slightly. But um, I don't like a lot of what Charlie's counting on in terms of... um, backup production. So we've got like Jeff Wilson subbing in. He was in a committee in San Francisco. He's benefiting from the fact that my guy, Raheem Mostert's out. Uh, you wonder what kind of production's coming at the RB2 slot. So just in running backs, it's Kareem Hunt and Jeff Wilson versus Derrick Henry and Connor. Uh, on Kevin's side, I just like the pedigree there. You know, it's a, it's a competition. It's a, it's a conversation in the wide receiver category. But Julian Edelman just had his single biggest week ever as a wide receiver. You remember all those years with Tom Brady? I heard a stat just this last week uh, that Julian Edelman's biggest game as a receiver came with Cam Newton as quarterback. So I like that connection to continue into this week. Uh, I like Kevin to take this one. Uh, And I'm going to say it's going to take it pretty handily, uh, outperform his projections. Yeah, and Julian Edelman's a fascinating person here because you have Cam who is, he's, he's a great passer. He's a good passer. He's not a great passer. He's a good passer. But he, he, he uses his feet to make, make things happen. And that's where Julian Edelman, I think, 
that connection is going to be really strong because Cam, as he's running around, may not be able to look into those upper tiers of the guys who are who are going deep. Edelman's doing a lot of that, that short game, and so he's going to to be open. Julian Edelman gets open, which is why he's had such a great career in the NFL. And so Cam's going to look for him because he's going to be the short white guy running across the middle of the field <laughs> as Cam's running for his life. So I expect that, that, that I'm with you. I think that's going to be a big difference maker here. And uh, I think Kevin, I think Kevin gets his first win of the season. Um, I, I don't think Charlie has quite enough. I would have gone Cam Newton here over Kyler Murray. Um, I just, I don't, I don't think, you know, Kyler Murray's getting his stuff together. He's, he's, he's going to play well, but I would stick with Cam here. We know how, how great that coaching is in uh, New England. We know Josh McDaniels is cooking some stuff up for him. And, uh, you know, John Gruden playing some of those old style defenses that I don't think they're going to be ready for, for who Cam Newton is. So I, uh, I'm with you here. I think, I think Kevin's going to take this one. Moving on here, Tyler Kerr saved by LaBelle trying to get that first win of the season going up against Dave Pestian's The Little Sebastians. Right now, uh, Ty is projected to take the victory 92-90. to uh, It should be pointed out, though, that Le'Veon Bell projected for zero points for the second straight week is still on the roster and looks like on the bench Matt Breida running back is currently playing so he can't be subbed in and then he is Shady McCoy on the bench going up against Denver so if Ty can get his stuff together by Sunday at 405 then he can make that switch so hopefully Ty can can make that but even still Shady's only projected for five so that may be enough to take it. Although on the other side, Dave has the RB2 spot open where we expect he'll either put in Tony. Well, the only running back he has is Tony Pollard. So five points. Oh, Tevin Coleman up there, but he's projected zero. So Tony Pollard, 4.8. So yeah, yeah. Dave's still projected to take this loss. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But uh, Tim, who uh, in this very crappy game neither team projected <laughs> to get 100 yeah this might be our uh what's what do you call the matchup of the week on this podcast game it's of the, week? the sacred heart game of the week sacred yeah. heart game of the week this might be the i don't know the sacred heart i don't know dump of the week or something yeah. but you know we do have some some moves in flux so we know about that trade what dave's gonna do is put mike davis in that rb2 slot uh, and his projection is probably somewhere in the teens due to his uh, ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. So I would expect that Dave ends up with the higher projected points. Uh, you can even see Christian Kirk is currently projected at point seven. Uh, so if Dave, again, gets it together and, and fixes up his flex spot, I would say Dave's projection is currently probably about 30 under what it's ultimately going to end up being. Uh, whereas Ty, I have zero confidence he'll pull Le'Veon Bell out of that lineup. <laughs> I have zero confidence he'll do anything about Gronk and his goose egg he laid last week. You know, Ty, again, he's got a good, good team. I mean, if he just puts the pieces in the right places. So, again, zero confidence in Ty's ability as a manager. Uh, Going to give it to win, uh, the win to Dave just purely out of the, I don't know, just the notion that Dave will look at his roster between now and Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I should say that that trade hasn't gone through just yet. Uh, it, it is it official or are we still voting on it? 
I think it just has to process. Um, I think it's like 24 hour, 48 p. It's gonna process before Sunday. Yeah, and and Mike Davis is projected 12.6. So uh, to your point, I apologize. We just talked about the trade, and I did I just like blanked out on that. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, Dave Dave will be projected to take the victory, and uh, I'm with you. I think I think that'll be enough. And uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Ty here. I mean, if he's if he's not going to be an active participant in the league, I'm not sure what he's doing. Consider yourself called out, my man. So Ty, it's time, man. You gotta you gotta step that up. I know you enjoyed taking the ACT, but uh, you gotta at least you know try. He must have really enjoyed that ACT. He did. He's trying to get a, he's trying to get over a 30. He doesn't want to just go like go take it on his own. No, that's so right. he yeah. Hey, we're he happy to give stuff. you the reason too. <laughs> Moving on here, we have the battle of our last two champions, Vince Gorgonzola's 0-2 Scott's Tots going into town to take on Steve Groover's 1-1, currently named Threat Level Midnight. We'll see if he changes that name. Groover has uh, James Robinson in the current Thursday night game, who has gotten him 13 points as of halftime. And with that, this is a tight game, Tim. Steve is projected to win 120.9 to 119.4, so essentially a toss-up. We already know James Robinson is is currently at his projection, so he's projected 13.8. He's currently at 13, so he's right at his projection, uh, assuming that he has similar you know game to what he's already had. They're down seven to 21. Jacksonville is, so I assume they're going to start passing a little bit more, which is good in the PPR league, right? Mm. Um, but we'll see what he can do. But we assume he will outperform his projection. Dak Prescott at 19.8. Everybody else, though, low teen. So Groover not expecting to get a ton of production out of the rest of his squad. On the other side there with Gorgonzola's team, Patrick Mahomes going up against Baltimore. Baltimore always a fairly stingy defense. So we'll see what uh, what Pat Mahomes can do with that, but that may be a shootout over there. Adam Thielen, 15.6, going up against Tennessee, and Kenyon Drake going up against Detroit, 15.7. So this is a tight one, Tim. Who are you? Who are you going with? This is a tight one, uh, and I want to give credit to Vince for improving his tight end position. He lost George Kittle early. Uh, it's easy to forget about Kittle going down with all the other injuries. Uh, throughout the league, but he missed last week. Uh, picked up Jonu Smith, who's had a great, uh, great start to the season there in Tennessee. Um, this is a hard one. This is a hard one for me, um, especially when you consider Julio Jones is coming over in that trade that Steve made with Dave. Uh, he might slot in Julio in the flex spots. He might outperform uh, Josh Kelly there. Um, you know, in a battle of of you know perennial contenders. Ah. My heart's with Steve. Uh, I don't know why. Um, Steve's been nothing but uh, but awful to me over the years. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's that's just what I'm going with. It's, it's the ultimate dice roll, and unfortunately it's coming up Groover. Yeah, Julio's projected for 16, so uh, as I popped over to Peshton Squad to see where he was at. So projected for 16, which would be the top uh, projection for wide receivers on Groover's team. So uh, Devontae Adams, though, is... Still, I think, projected to play. Uh, it's, a, it's a keep an eye on him, but Devontae Adams is questionable and may still play and actually is projected to be the highest if he does play. So potentially 19 points on the bench there for Devontae Adams if he's healthy, plus Julio Jones coming in. So with that, 
I, I'm, I think I'm going to side with you here and go with Groover because I, his upside there is going to be a lot higher if Devontae Adams is able to go. Even if not, as long as he gets Julio in time, and, and he will because it'll process. So I think I'm with you there. Threat level midnight may be the, the, the name that sticks. If he changes the name, though, Tim, I'm going to withhold my right, or I'm going to hold on to my right to change my mind. If he goes with some crappy community reference again, mm-hmm. then I'm going right over back to Scott's Tots. So I'm going to, my pick is contingent on the name. And as a one-week co-host fill-in, I fully consent to that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Moving on, we have another close game here. Kalen King's 2-0 Bob Roethlisberger is going into town to take on Mike Engine Thrones 1-1, Bonnie McMurray. Kalen projected to take this game 131.5 to 127.3. Expecting another big game out of Ezekiel Elliott at 20.6. Of course, Big Ben always in play going up against Houston. Now, who's going to be without J.J. Watt? So, we'll see what Ben can do. He's, he's, his game's a little different now that he's back. But we'll see if it's enough. Uh, Josh Jacobs has also been a, a player for Kalen who has shown up. On the other side there, Bonnie McMurray, Deshaun Watson going up against that Pittsburgh defense who is always tough. Dalvin Cook against Tennessee projected 19.2. Uh, everybody else in the mid-teens there. So does Kalen King move on to 3-0? and You know, he's got a hell of a roster. Um, Nick Chubb has been a little Jekyll and Hyde uh, that first game. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of activity for Kareem Hunt. You wondered what Nick Chubb's role in the new offense would be, but he obviously bounced back in week two. Uh, consistency throughout the lineup, you've got a question with the nation on uh, Josh Jacobs right now, but if he's healthy... Obviously, you love to be able to put that guy in the flex. Um, so Kalen's pretty, pretty well set. But you know, I like, I like what uh, what Mike's got on the other side too. I mean, obviously, quarterback Deshaun Watson's obviously going to show up for you. You like what you saw out of uh, out of Taylor, Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis when his first chance in, in kind of a starting role uh, with Marlon Mack going down. Uh, and you know, if Mark Andrews shows up in what looks to be a shootout against Kansas City on Monday night. Look at that battle of the tight ends. Travis Kelsey versus Mark Andrews Monday night to potentially decide the whole matchup. Ooh, boy, that'll be fun. Uh, I might go with the underdog in this one and say that Mike picks up the victory over Kalen, uh, gives him his first defeat of the season. I, uh, I'm going to go opposite of you here. I think that uh, Big Ben's going to have a good, a good game going up against that uh, now very hurt Texans D, I'm with you. I love I love tight end. The whole tight end position I think is fascinating. So I, I like that matchup. Travis Kelsey though, man, can't pick against him. I think he's gonna be. Uh, we're gonna see another great game out of him going up against Baltimore, which is a, a tough defense. And I think that you're gonna see Pat Mahomes checking down to him a little more often than usual. So I'm gonna go opposite here. I think Kalen King goes to three and zero. And uh, Kalen, get ready to come on the pod, man. If you start uh, start going on a run here, we're gonna have you on pretty quick because I enjoy when you come on the pod and get real arrogant, and then you go and lose a bunch of games. So <laughs> I think this is the exact situation what you found yourself in last year, two and zero. We had you on the pod at that point. You were talking championship. I'm gonna do great, 
and then tanked down to the Toilet Bowl Championship. So that's what I'm I'm rooting for. So, Kalen, uh, free up your schedule next week. Moving on to our game of the week, the uh, presented by Sacred Heart. Can't forget Sacred Heart. But our dubbed Clash at Kreischer, mm. going back to uh, to your and Tony's uh, college days at Bowling Green. Uh, and so we heard a little bit from Tony about about his his Bowling Green memories. Tim, what uh, what was your your takeaway from your time at old BGSU? Oh man, where to begin? Specifically with Tony, I can't stop thinking about the pizza because Tony and I lived together not just freshman year, not just sophomore year, but also junior year. Uh, but specifically sophomore year, we would order these pizzas uh, from Mama Margie's, and Mama Margie's was the off-brand campus-sponsored pizza place, but they had the most incredible combinations. You could get a potato skin pizza. You could get a barbecue Ooh. chicken pizza. And these are thick crust, man. We're not talking about Neapolitan-style you know, brick oven. We're talking about thick-ass crust with chunky toppings. And I use that term pornographically. Chunky <laughs> toppings. They were thick. They were thick. <laughs> Toosties. And we'd split the damn pizza, the two of us. And boy, oh boy, that shared bathroom had seen better days <laughs> by the end of the semester. So uh, when it comes to living with Tony, uh, the pizzas definitely stand out as a, uh, as a high point and as sometimes a low point. <laughs> so Tim, let me ask you this, because I, I spent some time in Bowling Green. We lived there um, in the 2012-2013 the school year. Uh, I, was, I was still going to Finley. Laura was working at uh, the hospital there in Bowling Green. We uh we we were we frequented a lot of those bars. So what what was your uh, go-to place when you were in BG? Well, you know, I was uh I was frequently dragged along to places like 149. Um I have definitely spent my fair share of uh of misspent nights at uh gosh. You can tell I misspent they were cuz I can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> Uh, but the one that really stands out for me is Reverend's. Reverend's was kind of the higher end bar. They had a really, really good beer selection, limited beer selection, but um, really stand out. Great food. It was the kind of place you went to get away from the other college students, uh, kind of place professors would go middle of the week. So uh, mad respect for Reverend's. Although, just remember the name of it, City Tap. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which also has a sibling bar in Cleveland, for mm -hmm. those of you who frequent the, uh, the downtown sporting events. City Tap was where I really expanded my palate, uh, tried craft beer, I wouldn't say for the first time, but really found out the full spectrum of what's available. So uh, I would say City Tap would be, for me, uh, the place where I shot pool, drank good beers, and uh, you know, really discovered yeah, my passion for beer that's kind of carried through to today. Yeah, we, uh, we frequented, so Beckett's mm. was a kind of a burger bar, I think. Yeah, Fred, yeah. Yeah, but we, I, I, we never had burgers there. The, we would go there on Wednesday nights. They had tacos. Yeah. 25 cent tacos. These things were loaded. <laughs> and they had, uh, was it $2 Coronas or Dos Equis, $1.50 margaritas. You would go and get filled up and smashed for about five bucks. Oh, man. They were simpler days. <laughs> Dude, I miss Becca's. But, uh, Taco Wednesday quickly turned into Toilet Thursday, and so <laughs> we we had to take a couple breaks from Beckett's over the years. And then uh, Grumpy Dave's was a place uh, in that kind of downtown area of BG 
on Friday nights, you would, uh, as long as you were drinking beer, you could play pool for free. Mm. So they would uh, give you some quarters, and you would you would load up the pool the pool table. And we we spent a lot of nights between Beckett's and Grumpy Dave's. And then uh, B-Dubs was our go-to place because it was walking distance from our, our apartment there. So we, and then uh, free appetizers after 9 o'clock if you sat at the bar. Really? Yeah. So found that out on accident one day as I was getting smashed watching a Pittsburgh Penguins game <laughs> late. And uh, I went to order and they're like, if you wait 10 more minutes, that's free. And I was like, I will wait the 10 minutes. So yeah, that uh, Bowling Green was a great place. I, I never went, I, I visited you guys, I believe in Kreischer. Was that the freshman year dorm? Yeah, Kreischer yeah. was very early days. So I went up and visited uh, once, and then I visited again at your when you guys had the that house uh, or the condo rather, like the townhouse. Yeah, Copper Beach. Copper Beach. Yeah. So um, I I too have some fond memories of BG as a uh, as a as a citizen of the town, not so much of the school. But all that to say. We have a major rivalry that stems... I mean, you you and Tony have been tight for a long time. Yeah, third grade. Well, he's going to own you this week. Yeah. He's projected 141 <laughs> to your 118.5. Uh, Perenni has Lamar Jackson at 24 projected. Uh, Alvin Kamara projected at 23. He was hiding down there in that flex spot. Uh, but Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, hoping to have a bounce-back game for him. As we mentioned, Tony really didn't get hit by the injury bug. You're looking for a big game out of Josh Allen again, going up against the Rams, projected at 20.2. Uh, Aaron Jones, 16.8. And I think we're going to see here, depending on what Devontae Adams is able to do, You know, if, if he's out, they're certainly going to look to their other playmakers to take on a little bit bigger roles there. But Todd Gurley, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup, Darren Waller, you you don't have a, a bad roster there. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that some of your guys are being under-projected right now. Uh, so I don't think this game is going to be as lopsided as you think it is. Now, Tony doesn't usually pick his games, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it up to you. If you want to pick this game or if you want to just comment on it. I will just comment on it. I'll, I'll uphold the tradition of as co-host and won't officially pick. I just want to point out a couple of interesting notes here. Uh, to your point... I do believe I'm being underprojected. I've been underprojected uh, every week. Last week I was projected at 122, finished at 172. Uh, week one projected at 120, ended up with 143. So I don't give ultimate credence to the projections, but they are some guide to start with. And as the projections look, uh, you know, look, I'm without Raheem Mostert this week, so uh, I went with Russell Gage in the flex. Uh, and Russell Gage for those of you who may not know, is the third receiver in Atlanta, but he's the number 11 receiver in all of fantasy. We've been giving a lot of love to Julio Jones this week, but Julio Jones is third on his own team in terms of fantasy production behind Tony's Calvin Ridley and my now Russell Gage. So it's going to be a hell of a matchup. Uh, the ultimate sphincter clench, though, Monday night Tony has a quarterback and a running back playing at 8-15. And that's that Baltimore-Kansas City game. So I don't love having to wait up that late on a Monday to find out my fate. I'm going to wake up on Tuesday and just hope for the best. Well, Tim, as much as it hurts me, i got to go with Tony on this one. Tony has been leading scorer the last two weeks. Mm. He's got Lamar Jackson mm. going up against Kansas City. 
Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a shootout, my friend. Yeah. And Lamar Jackson is not gonna not gonna back down to that challenge. Nope. And I, he's gonna put up some giant points. Mm. I don't think I don't think you stand a chance here, but it's not for me to say. <laughs> uh, it's not for me to say. But uh, you know what? We'll uh, we'll touch base next week, and I'll I'll check in on the podcast, and we'll see if your analysis holds true. <sighs> so and... I'm gonna pick Tony here, but I'll tell you this: I will be rooting for you. <laughs> that means a lot. I that am hoping I'm wrong. Yeah. With that. Um, but I, I will pick Tony begrudgingly, especially since he backed out on us here on the pod. So that will close it out for our conference call. Tim, it's been a pleasure having you on here as, as co-host in Tony's, Tony's absence. It's an absolute blast. Uh, I got a text coming out of the forest this morning. I was backpacking for the last three days, and I got a text asking me to be on the podcast. And normally this would just be as a guest spot. Uh, but because we couldn't make schedules work with Tony, you know, I'm literally in the same town as Derek now, uh, able to step in for the whole show, and uh, it's been a fucking hoot. I don't know if this is a rated R podcast or not, but oh, there's yeah, a requisite yeah. F-bomb for the day, because yeah. uh, it's been a blast drinking beers, smoking cigars, getting to experience the Frosty Pod firsthand. So uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been an absolute pleasure. The pleasure is mine, and uh, you are welcome on the podcast at any time, and uh, we will be looking forward to your journey here, um, certainly hoping everything goes well with, with joining the Army, and, and certainly appreciate um, the, the service you are about to embark on, um, and your, uh, you know, at this point at least, your, your willingness to, to serve our country and, and, and do all of that. So um, we, we thank you here from the Frosty and Perenni podcast. That will do it for our week three. Look for this to come out very soon. Although, you know, you'll just hear it when it comes out. So enjoy <laughs> this weekend of sports. Uh, on, on Saturday, I will not be watching the Notre Dame game. They're all sick on COVID. But <laughs> Sunday will be fantastic. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Vince, take it away.